All right. Well, we've been going through the Advent readings um, for the last few Sundays. And um, the first Sunday we did uh, started with hope, um, talking about hope, um, then peace, and then last Sunday was joy. And this Sunday we read about love. And I think it's interesting that when you um, think about Christmas, and maybe, maybe uh, you don't do this, but I think for a lot of us when we think about Christmas, love isn't necessarily the thing that we focus on. I think often the focus around Christmas season is, you know, joy, peace, generosity, blessings, gifts, those kind of things. And obviously there's nothing wrong with those. But I think it's funny that when we, you look at Christmas, that the topic of love um, maybe isn't always at the forefront of our focus. And so um, I, think, I think that the entire Christmas story, though, is really at the heart of it is love. Um, everything that happened around Christmas was as a result of God's love for us. Now, we use the word love a lot. We say things like, I love that movie, or I love that kind of car, or I love such and such an author, uh, I love a certain team, and so and so on. And, and so we use that word love very easily, and sometimes maybe even generously, you know, um, about things that, that we, you know, have in our lives. I remember way back when I first started liking Maria, um, and, or when we started liking each other, and I, I thought it was kind of interesting that you know, for us, we started off, you know, being special friends, you know, just so that you knew there's a little more than just, you know, the everyday person in, in my life and in our lives. And then we moved from being special friends to dating. And then, obviously, the next stage is engagement. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought of this, but there's a strange in-between period from dating to engagement. Have you ever thought about this? Because it's this moment, you know, obviously when you're dating, there's a level of, of, of commitment that you've made. But then when you are engaged, that you ramp that up a lot. But there's that weird little in-between stage where ultimately you're making that decision on whether or not you're going to be engaged. Um, and for me, um, you know, this, this was, for me, um, this moment was when I made the decision to buy the engagement ring. Now, I think I've told the story here before, so I apologize if you're hearing it again, but for me, when I made the decision to buy the engagement ring, that was that in-between moment for me, where I'm like, hmm, I, I know I want to date the girl, and I love dating her, and, and we, had, we had a great relationship, but in my heart, I also knew I wanted it to go further than that, but now I was in that in-between moment where I had to kind of act on that you know, desire to go deeper into our relationship. And so <clears throat> I remember walking into the jewelry store, and I had a really good idea of what kind of ring she liked. I had a budget in mind. You know, all those things were all in place. And, and so it wasn't really that this was something that was new to me. And it was in Edmonton, and so I, you know, had, you know, I was coming back from tree planting, and I had time. And so I stopped in at this jewelry store, and I'm going to make this purchase. And I'm going to get, you know, get the ring and come home and ask Maria to marry me. And uh, I walk into the jewelry store, and I find the ring, exactly what she pointed out that she liked, and, and, you know, within the price range, and all those kind of things, and suddenly, suddenly I got cold feet. Now, I know what <clears throat> a lot of you guys are thinking, is that the cost of an engagement ring will give just about anybody cold feet, you know, but uh, honestly, that wasn't what was happening to me. It was just this weird moment where I was like, do I really want to do this? Do I want to go ahead with this? Do I want to take it to this next level? And so the lady behind the counter was extremely kind. She 
promised me that she would put the ring away and hold it for me so that no one else would get it. And, and so I was very grateful for her. And so I told her I would come back. I came back three days in a row. Every single time, I could not get myself to purchase the ring. Well, I can't stay in Edmonton forever. Um, and so, you know, in the evening, I would call Maria, and, and she'd be like, okay, like you were dropping in on your way home uh, to, going towards uh, Leamington. When are you going to be in Winnipeg? When are you dropping in? You know, what's taking so long? And, and I'd tell these lies, you know, like, well, you know, Edmonton's, you know, the city of my favorite hockey team. And so I just love this town so much, and I'm just checking out the city and stuff like that. Meantime, the whole time, I'm like, I, I can't decide if I want to buy the ring or not, you know, and go, go forward with this relationship. And so, you know, it was really interesting because the question really is, why did I suddenly have cold feet? Why was it suddenly now that I was questioning whether or not I wanted to make this decision? I think the answer is quite simple, and that is that love is a decision. And I knew that for myself, and I'm sure all of you have been in this place, where you made a decision to love. You made a decision to go deeper, either in a relationship or, or with whatever it was, but it wasn't just something that accidentally happened. You didn't just <clears throat> accidentally get to a place where you're like, oh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to just do this and it's going to just kind of naturally happen. For me, this was the moment. I truly believe that this was the moment when I wrestled in my heart and in my head that I was going to choose to love Maria in a whole different way, in a much, much deeper way. I think it's one thing to say that we love a certain team. It's one thing to say that we, we love, you know, um, um, you know, this or this, you know. But it's a very different thing to say I love an individual. And so after three days, I realized I had to make this decision. I couldn't continue on. And so I made a decision that I was going to purchase the ring. So I go back. I walk into the store, and this lady's been so kind, she even let me go outside with it at a time. I'd put it on my pinky, and I'd hold it in the sun, and I'm like, woo, you know, it's a nice ring. There's no, no question about the ring. It was all good. But on the fourth day, I loaded my car up, and I decided this was the day I go buy the ring. And if I don't buy the ring, I understood that most likely that also meant that the relationship was over. Strange when I think back on it now, that <laughs> the power of this ring, you know, but I purchased the ring, obviously, in case some of you are like, did you or didn't you? I purchased the ring. She's wearing it to this day. And uh, I was so, after I made the purchase, everything changed for me. I, I, I'm driving home, and I had it on my pinky, and I'm driving my car home, and it's glittering in the sun. And, and here's the crazy thing. I bought it in Edmonton. I drove down, I don't know the highway, but I was driving down towards Calgary. The next gas station I pulled in, filled up, I forgot to pay. I guess you could say I was love struck, you know. I was so absolutely in awe, you know, and I had the ring and I'm driving home and, you know, and, and it's, like I said, it's crazy thinking back on that now. Now, here's something I want you to just think about and process. I think, I think it would be theologically incorrect to say that God decided to love us. Think about that. I don't know if that would be an accurate statement, that, that we would ever be able to say to somebody, God decided to love you. Here's why. We were created in love. God is love. It's not something he decides to do or not do. And so you and I are, are loved always. You and I are always, God didn't have to make a decision on whether or not to love us. But I think what is crystal clear in Scripture 
is that God acted on that love. That God expressed that love to us. It's not just that we are loved and we know it, you know, head knowledge. You know, we were shown love. God expressed his love towards us. I think the best known verse in the Bible on love is is John 3.16. It says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. In this verse, John expresses three truths. One, the universal character of God's love. Two, its sacrificial nature. And three, its eternal purpose. Okay, it's beautiful. It's like the universal character of God's love, its sacrificial nature, and the, its eternal purpose. Interesting that when we think of God giving his son, I don't know about you, but naturally when I read this verse, I think naturally we tend to focus on his death. And obviously, because, you know, it cost Jesus everything, but it's interesting that when we think about God loving us and sending his son, the first thing that most of our minds will do is go towards his death. But remember, God gave his son as an infant, born in a stable in a small town in Bethlehem. God's love was for everyone. God's love cost him everything. And God's love would impact eternity. I want to take a moment and remind us today that you are loved, that you and I are loved by God. You may be like, yeah, I know that, and it's great to be reminded, and and it's wonderful, but I wonder if there are some of you here today, you need to be convinced. You need to be convinced that you are loved by God. For whatever reason, maybe you find yourself in a place where you question that at times. Maybe life has given you some experiences that that challenge you to wrestle with, you know, does God love me or why are these things happening? And I hope that this Christmas you will experience this love that God has given you. In our Advent reading this morning, um, we were challenged to compare the birth of Jesus to the most recent royal baby in England. Imagine for a moment if the Prince of England was born while his parents were on a government-required trip. Or the Prince of England was born and then was placed in a feeding trough, and that was his bed. The royal family would have freaked out. The royal family would not have had it. My goodness, think about it. Much of the world would have freaked out. That's not how a royal baby is treated. After all, royal babies deserve royal births. Royal beds, royal care, and I'm sure there are times when they are a royal pain in the butt. John chapter 1, verse 1, says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Jump down to verse 14, it says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of His one and only Son, who came from God full of grace and truth. The Son of God. Think about this for a moment. The Son of God, or God Himself, left heaven. We call this the incarnation. Left heaven and became a human being. Now, as crazy as that sounds, as impossible as that sounds, and we will never ever fully understand how the deity of God can fit into human form. We'll never really be able to understand it. But have you ever thought of this? 
that when he did that, he didn't come into the form of a wealthy, powerful, or even well-protected human being. Think about that. As crazy as it is to even just say that God came into human form, you would have expected that at least, at the very least, he would have come into the form of a human being who was in a very safe environment, who was in a very safe and protected place. But instead, he comes as an infant. Really, even, he came in pregnancy and the thoughts of all that Maria and I were talking about this on the way here, of all that, if you think about what, what could have gone wrong and even the, the life expectancy of a child back then, it's crazy that God decides, I'm going to send my son not into a safe environment, but I'm going to send my son as a helpless baby who is completely dependent on his parents for everything. God could have at least had the baby born to a couple who was ready, who had the resources, who had a palace. But instead, a child was born to a traveling family, people who basically had nothing. So what does it mean that the king of kings was born in this way? It means that he came with a greater purpose than our earthly king, than to have an earthly king. Jesus came with a goal greater than an earthly kingdom here and now. He came with the goal of the cross. We see God's love for us on display in that manger. That he was willing to be humbled so that we could be rescued. Paul puts it this way, way in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. Who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Think about this. Humility. Humility is a rare trait in powerful people. If you just think about that for a moment, think of some of the powerful people that you know, and I'm not saying that none of them have it, but often humility is a rare trait in powerful people. And yet, Jesus was willing to humble himself and God was willing to send his son into the most humblest of places so that we could experience the fullness of his love. 1 John 4, 9 says, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. You and I, you and I, we are loved. We are loved. God did so much more than just tell us he loves us. He expressed his love. He demonstrated his love in the most powerful and most perfect way possible. Love is present all throughout the history, um, the story of, of uh, Christmas. I don't know if you've ever read the story of Christmas and put that lens on, you know, the lens of love, but it's an interesting exercise. Look at the whole story of Christmas through this lens. For example, Joseph loved Mary. He could have divorced her, he could have washed his hands of her, he could have accused her and, and, you know, and just abandoned her, and she would have had to carry the shame and the, you know, the persecution and all the 
you know, social stigma that would have come with her being pregnant before marriage. She would have had to bury, um, carry that all on her own, but instead, he decided to stay with her and to marry her regardless. He made her a promise, and he, and he, he stayed with her, and she traveled with him. Then there's Mary and Joseph's love for the baby. They do everything they can to protect this child. Even Joseph, if you think about it, Joseph embraces the baby Jesus as his very own. You have the shepherds, the love of the shepherds. What started maybe as mere curiosity at the beginning changed once they saw the child. I believe that when these shepherds saw the baby, they absolutely fell in love with this child. They were overcome with joy and love and ran around and told everyone what they had witnessed. Then there's the wise men, these people who had promised Herod that they would tell him the whereabouts of this child. But having been warned in a dream, they realized the safety of the child is more important than the loyalty to a tyrant king. And this was a risky decision. So they decide to no longer go and tell King Herod what they had seen. And they go and they travel back on a different route. A very, very risky decision. Love permeates through the entire Christmas story. Because Christmas is an expression of the wonder of love. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. There are many studies that show of the impact that love has on a person. We need to be loved. We need to have someone love us and God loves us and God's love for us changed everything. I want to read you a story it's kind of a long story, but I want to read you a story because I think this, this story is a beautiful illustration of, of the kind of how love changes uh, people's circumstances. The story is called The Ring of Salvation. Sounds like the making of a movie, but The Ring of Salvation, and it's it, written by a guy by the name of Arthur Breisky. And, uh, and so I'll just read it. Here it is. It says, By all rules, Skinner was a dead man. With these words, Arthur begins his retelling of the day he found his best friend in a World War II Japanese concentration camp. The two were high school buddies. They grew up together in Mount Carmel, Pennsylvania, playing ball, skipping school, double dating. Arthur and Skinner were inseparable. It made sense, then, that when one joined the army, the other would as well. They rode the same troop ship to the Philippines, and there they were separated. Skinner was on a rescue mission when Baton fell to the Japanese in 1942. Arthur was captured a month later. Through the, the prison grapevine, Arthur learned the whereabouts of his friend. Skinner was, in a nearby de was near death in a nearby camp. Arthur volunteered for work detail and hoped that his company might pass through the other camp. And one day it did. Arthur requested and was granted five minutes to find and speak to his friend. He knew to go to the sick side of camp. It was divided into two sections for those who were expected to recover and those who were given no hope. Those expected to die lived in the barrack called Zero Ward. That's where Arthur found Skinner. He called his name and out of the barrack walked the 79-pound shadow of the friend he had once known. Arthur writes, I stood at the wire fence of the Japanese prison of war camp on Laos and watched my childhood buddy, caked in filth, 
with pain, racked with pain of multiple diseases, tottering towards me. He was dead. Only his boisterous spirit hadn't left him. I wanted to look away, but I couldn't. His blue eyes, watery, dull, locked on me and wouldn't let go. Malaria, dysentery, pellagra, scurry, beriberi. Skinner's body was a dormitory for tropical diseases. He couldn't eat. He couldn't drink. He was nearly gone. Arthur didn't know what to do or say. His five minutes were nearly up. He began to finger the, the heavy knot of his handkerchief tied around his neck. In it was his high school class ring. At the risk of punishment, he had smuggled the ring into camp, knowing the child, knowing the likelihood of catching a disease and the scarcity of treatment. He had been saving it to barter for medicine for, or food for himself. But one look at Skinner, and he knew he couldn't save it any longer. As he told his friend goodbye, he slipped the ring through the fence into Skinner's frail hand and told him to wheel and deal with it. Skinner objected, but Arthur insisted. He turned and left, not knowing if he would ever see his friend alive again. Skinner took the ring, buried it in the barracks floor. The next day, he took the biggest risk of his life. He approached the kindest of guard, uh, guards and passed him the ring through the fence. The guard asked, is it valuable? Skinner assured him that it was. The soldier smiled and slipped the ring into his pocket and left. A couple days later, he walked past Skinner and let a packet drop to the floor. Medicine tablets. A day later, he returned with limes to combat the scurry. Then came a new pair of pants and some canned beef. Within three weeks, Skinner was on his feet. Within three months, he was able he was taken to the healthy side of the sick camp, and in time he was able to work. As far as Skinner knew, he was the only American to ever leave Zero Ward alive, and because, all because of the gift of the ring. Now here's the thing with an illustration like that or a story like that. You can use it to illustrate all kinds of different things. But I want us this morning just to stop for a moment and see ourselves as Skinner. We, in a sense, are Skinner. We're the ones who at one point, spiritually speaking, would have been in zero ward, with no hope, no chance, lost in sin, and nothing that we could do to rescue ourselves. Then God gave his son. As a child, born so that we would be able to have freedom and life through him. Something that would have been impossible for us in any other way, but because God was willing to give us something that we had not deserved, that we did nothing to have, uh, you know, to receive, God was willing to give for us something that cost him everything so that we could be free. Unlike Skinner's situation, when we accept, accept God's gift, we are immediately saved from our sinful condition and brought out of captivity. That is why God sent his one and only son. You are loved. You are so deeply loved by God, and I trust that this Christmas season, you will embrace 
this love, that you will just allow this love, as, as it says in 1 John um, 1, 3, 1, that, you know, that we have been loved by God, that we have been, how great is the love that the Father has lavished on us. There's this sense of just allowing the love of God to just be poured all over us. Skinner and Arthur would survive the war. And within a few days of returning home to Mount Carmel, Skinner arrived with a small wooden box, and Arthur knew immediately what was inside the box. In it was the exact copy of the high school ring that Arthur had given to him. As Skinner handed the box back or to Arthur, he told him, That ring, Artie, that ring saved my life. My prayer for you and I is that all of us would experience the love that God has for us. That every single one of us would be willing in our condition, in our moment, whatever it may be, whether it just needs to be a reminder for you today, whether it needs to be something that you use to just maybe push back on doubt or frustration or, or, or even hurt or pain or whatever it might be, that, that you would accept this gift that God has given you, this child born so that we could have salvation, that we could have life through him. So I trust that this Christmas season, that you will experience the love of God and that you will grow in that love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for sending your son Jesus. We thank you so much that even though we did nothing to deserve it, that you were willing to, to give anyway and that you gave your son and that Jesus, you were willing to come as a helpless baby, born, raised, and that you died and you rose and you ascended to the Father, all so that we could have eternal life. We thank you for your love, and I pray, God, for every single person here, that we would live and embrace the love that you have, that you have given us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful rest of the day.